Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I had the privilege of chatting with Susie Davis. Susie's an author, encourager, and mentor. Every day she wakes up and writes out things in her moleskin journals, and every day she ends up somewhere on social media with words hoping to encourage us to love God even more. The other thing she can't seem to escape is a God-given desire to reach out to the young women around her. She calls them her dear daughters, which is also the name of her podcast. Before our interview, I didn't personally know Susie, but she's mentored me from afar via this podcast. I've had some incredible chats with other mentors and friends on the show, but honestly, y'all, this one tops the charts as my new favorite conversation to date. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you guys enjoy the show. Okay, how are you? I'm good. This is crazy town. I know. Can you even believe it? So I listened to your show and I tagged my mother-in-law on one of your photos because I thought she would really appreciate a particular episode. I can't remember exactly which one it was. (laughs) And she writes me back and she says, is this Susie Davis from Austin, Texas? And I'm like, yeah, do you know her? She said y'all went to school together, but that you were a little bit younger and you may not know her, but she definitely knew who you were. And I was like, wow, that's so crazy. Small world. It is so hilarious and small. It makes me happy. Yes. So they had really great things to say about you and said you all have a lot of mutual friends. And I told them, I was like, well, thank you because I love Susie Davis and I have so many friends who listen to your show. A lot of friends from Pine Cove. Oh, happy. Yes, we feel like you have mentored us from afar. And so I was like, I'll reach out to her, but I'm sure she'll say no. <laughs> so when you wrote me back, I was like, this is so such a treasured gift. I'm, I'm so grateful for time with you today. Oh, I'm so happy too. I'm just excited that God curled our paths together the way that he always does. Totally. It's so fun. How was the mountains last week? They were so good. Um, it was so delightful. When you can have a fire on with the windows open, oh. you know that that like something is right in the world. Where are these mountains? They are in Estes Park, Colorado. Oh, wonderful. So your oldest son lives in Colorado, correct? Lives in Denver with his cute wife, Amy. Oh, that's so wonderful. Okay, yes. Before we get ahead of ourselves, I would love for people who aren't familiar with Dear Daughters, Austin Christian Fellowship, and your writing, just to get to hear from you a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. I um, came to Christ when I was 12 years old, and I fell in love with Him deep and hard, and um, had some tragic things happen when I was 14 that maybe we can dive into later. Hmm. Um, well, I wrote a book about it called Unafraid. Yes. Um, then at 16, I um, committed my life to ministry, and that was the year I met my future husband, Will Davis Jr. High school sweethearts. That is precious. Oh, yeah. Couldn't stand to be apart. Um, got, we both tripped up to Baylor and then got married. I was married at 21. Um, past, he was pastoring a church, finished, finishing his doctorate at Southwestern, and then um, you know had three kids who are just the love of our life. And um, we started a church in Austin a couple years after he finished his doctorate. And we have been here ever since. And I've been writing books since like 2006. I've written about five, five or six and um, just enjoy speaking and teaching. And 
um, our church that we started here is Austin Christian Fellowship, which you mentioned. And then a couple years ago when my daughters, we have two daughters and a son. Um, when my daughters started getting older, well, I, that's not even true. It was when my high, my son was in high school, um, some of his friends that, that were girls started calling me Mama Suze just because, Aww. yeah, gather around my table and stuff like that. And I think I just at that point loved I always wanted to be a mother, and then I love the idea that, oh, my gracious, I can be some kind of positive influence in children's lives that aren't even mine. And then as my daughters got older and their friends got in high school and college, and they would just cluster in my kitchen and gather around my table, and um, that's when I started calling them dear daughters because there are just so many young women that originally it started with my daughters and my son's friends, but then since then I just – have gotten to know so many young women that I think of as my daughters. And I started posting stuff on Instagram, just little like love notes to, um, to those girls and young women, like dear daughters, you know, just little antidotes and then turned into blog posts and then it turned into a podcast. So, um, that's just how it started everything. I just tripped along and God picked me up and led me to the next thing. And, and that's where we are. Wow. Well, I am really quite astounded. And I'm so happy that I came across you. I actually came across you via Jamie Ivey because you were a guest on her show a while ago, correct? Yes. And then, yes. So she connected me to you. And of course, I went to your Instagram. Your pictures are beautiful, by the way. I am just in awe of your Instagram and your blog or your whole entire website, not just your blog. It's just absolutely beautiful. So you do a great job. And a little context. I'm a military wife. And oh, wow. we, my husband and I met in uh, at Pine Cove, actually, in Tyler, Texas. Wow. But in the last five years, we've moved five times. And so I have really taken to podcasts because when we were in Tyler, I had an opportunity to be mentored by women here at Pine Cove. And when I was up at University of Arkansas, I had a, quite a few mentors. But one of the things that has been really difficult for me moving so frequently has been finding you know, a mentor. And I have found women that I'm rubbing shoulders with and that I've asked to mentor me in different duty stations that we've been, um, you know, that we've been in. But you have really been a consistent mentor for the last couple of years. So it's such an honor to get to talk to you today. And I just really appreciate everything that you do. Well, you're making me cry because that's just literally to hear you say that and to know that somehow God uses anything that I've done to encourage you um, is just, it's just beyond a gift. Thank you for telling me that. Well, thanks for following your big God dream, as you say. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) This is me following mine. So I appreciate the encouragement to do so. But this, you know, this whole idea of mentoring from afar, as I'm starting this podcast, and as I've been following you and a few other women that I consider to be really mentors in my life, even though this is the first conversation that we've actually shared. This is just a concept that I've been wrestling with. And I thought I'd like to talk to you about it. Um, Whether or not you think that we can mentor people from afar, or if it's something that has to happen in the context of life on life community. Well, I think that from the basis of just the story in the Bible, and I know the the word is living and active, so it's it's way more um, profound than just 
my impact that I would have on an individual. But you're asking about this distance question. And if Paul can mentor me and if, you know, Mark and John, that if, if Moses can mentor me, I think that, and think of all the distance, the years between their story. Of course, we can think about the fact that distance doesn't have to be an indicator of, you know, or a hindrance to mentorship or discipleship. So, yeah, I think it totally works. And, um, and, and I, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for those who came before me who spent the time living their life out loud on the page through story. Um, and now even, even now, like, just like you, I have people that I watch and that I follow that continue to encourage me in my life. Totally. Well, that's such a good insight because you think about it and it's like, yes, Paul was writing letters and here you are, dear daughters, writing letters. (laughs) Same thing. That's so cool. Uh, What do you think? Are there any potential pitfalls for those of us who are seeking mentorship from someone who is separate in proximity? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think um, even with the illustration I used, let's just say Paul, it's easy to think of him as a spiritual giant and not really someone who is hot headed. And because I think he probably was, you know, I mean, he, yes, he was he was a struggle, you know, but um, and I think in the same way we do that now with social media is what a monstrous beast, but what a blessing. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's very easy uh, because like for me, I like posting pretty pictures. I actually said this once in a in an Instagram post, and there was quite a lot of conversation about it. But I was like, um, I post pretty pictures online, but um, but it doesn't mean that I don't have arguments with the people in my family. Yeah, um, and it's not that. Um, and and so I want to be as honest as I can. Like my life is a real life; it's a regular life. But um, but yeah, I I like pretty pictures. Most people are attracted to pretty pictures. They don't want to see people crying at the table because they're in big arguments with right. their family members. Right. So, um, so I think the downfall or the, the thing that, that could get in the way of an online, um, encouragement is just kind of idealizing a person and, and, yes. and believing the lie that they have it all together and somehow your life just doesn't measure up. And listen, I deal with that every single day and there are seasons, um, where, where I'll give myself a break from social media. And even if I adore someone, if for whatever reason in my weakness, I'm not able to watch and, and consume their feed because it gets in between me and God, mm-hmm. I need to unfollow them. Yeah. You know, yes. and there's no, it's no fault of theirs for posting beautiful pictures, right? Right. Um, or going on vacation or doing whatever it is they do. It's really an indication more of where my heart's at. Um, so I think that, that's, that could be a real struggle is just, you know, I'm, I've been seeing a counselor recently, which I think everyone should do. Yes. Even if you think you're healthy or do think you're healthy. Um, and she said, um, the difference between reality and expectation is misery. Hmm. So in between reality yeah. and expectation, it's just misery. And so if we have this expectation that our lives are supposed to always be beautiful and always be pleasant and always be yes. Jesus our relationships should always be positive, then we're just going to be miserable. We need to live in reality. And reality is there are beautiful things in your life right now. And there are also equally difficult things in your life right now. Yes. And that is your one beautiful life with God. Mm. Period. 
So there are beautiful things and there are hard things, and that's your whole life. Um, and that's everyone's life. Absolutely. And sometimes it's hard to get the picture of those hard things when you're on the internet. And actually, somebody just wrote me a, a message that I read just last night. And she said, I'm going to try so hard. I, I just posted a podcast about my relationship with my friend, um, Elizabeth Seyfried, on the topic of uh, friendship. And she said, I'm going to try really hard not to idealize your life. <laughs> and I start to think, is there something I should be doing to help prevent people from doing that. And I I love what you said about being as real as possible in some of your posts. But the reality is there are oftentimes people attached to those hard experiences that you may have to respect and not share publicly for their sake. Yeah. I mean, like I can't listen when you, I, I actually am so grateful that there was no social media really to speak of until my kids were well, up into their middle teen or past their teen years. Mm-hmm. Because as a mother, there are things that, that, I mean, this idea that you can post things now without permission from the people that you love the very most in life that might be a mistake right. is, something, is something to consider. Yes. Do you do anything to help share the hard parts of your life with your followers, if you will, the people who are looking to you from afar to help kind of bring yourself down if they have elevated you to any kind of pedestal. Yeah, I think that, you know, and with every aspect of communication, it's it's a little bit different. If you were online looking at um, messages that like Will and I um, preach together at ACF, mm-hmm. you would hear probably a little bit of a different picture because it's more impromptu, it's more fluid it'd be, it pro- you probably would hear a little more of what's going on in our everyday life right. in a very real way. When I'm writing, um, although my daughter Emily says my best posts are when I'm sad. She's like, Mom, you just need to always write from a place of sad. There, there are posts in inside my blog that are very depressing. Like, honestly, I feel like they're, when I got RSD a couple years ago, which is a pain mm-hmm. syndrome, um, that's it. That was, there were some dark posts in there. Yeah. Uh, but the majority of my posts reflect my struggle with God and his glorious outcome in my life, which is because when I, I'll just, let me put it in context. I told you I became a Christian at 12. At 14, I witnessed the murder of my teacher in our classroom. Mm. So for me, life took a really dark turn. Right. And for me at that, and then fear invaded my life and it Mm. became a struggle for 10 years. So for me, in my relationship with God, I have found that it honors him best when I can see that life is beautiful, that life is half full, it's more than half full. We yes. live in the lopsided favor of God, really. We live in the lopsided favor of God. And it's my, as his dear daughter, it is my responsibility, it is my joy to reflect on those things in my life. Um, and so that's really where I try to live, is on the good news side of things. Does it mean that I don't have dark days? No. Will you hear about that? in different places, like if you were at my church or if you're in my small group or if you sit around my table, um, you'll hear a lot more intimate details in my life than if you just read my blog post or watch, you know, consume my Instagram feed. Totally. Uh, yeah. And that makes sense, right? Because you're taking yes. a, you're taking a step in intimacy, you know, with, with every layer that, you know, if you're sitting at my table, there's a layer or there's a level of intimacy that I can't share on Instagram and I shouldn't. I mean, how can, how can you, yeah. that? 
Absolutely. I, I definitely don't feel like it's protecting because usually I feel like the deepest hurts that I have just involve other people. There are some things by myself that definitely are struggles. And I, I feel like I am more prone to share about those things because I know I'm not going to hurt anyone else in the process. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's called wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, that's called wisdom. Um, because we don't, we shouldn't be spouting about like, I wouldn't, I hope, dear God, I hope that you never see a post I've written where I talk about an argument I'm in with Will. Mm. where there hasn't been an outcome of restoration. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I, um, I don't know if you know, Ann Swindell, but I took one of her courses on writing and she always says just to write from a place of hope and to not leave anyone with despair in your writing. And I think that totally falls in line with what you're saying. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. I do too. I love everything you're saying. So I'm going to have to get my computer out and take a bunch of show notes for everyone, (laughs) which I will do. Noteworthy quotes. They will be there, people. HunterBeeList.com. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to transition and ask you a question that has just, I don't know, it's been burning in me. I feel like really ever since I graduated college, because when I took this shift into you know, a city that didn't have a vibrant community of older women pouring into younger women. I began to just see that that's a really unique experience that I had when I was in college and that oftentimes it's harder to find someone who considers themselves a spiritual mother, as you do, to those of us who are younger. And I don't know, I want to speak about this as respectfully as possible, but I'd love to hear from you as someone who is a more seasoned mentor, maybe why you think that's happening well, I, I do see it, and I want to affirm, you know, how old are you, Hunter? I'm 29. Okay, so you're tw- you said that like you were 103. I know. Well, you know, I just went through like 10 years of pictures, and we're actually at Pine Cove Family Camp right now, and I'm looking at all these little 22-year-old counselors, and I'm like, how did I end up to be 29? I still feel 20 in my spirit. You'll always feel 20 in your spirit. You will. (laughs) And you also need to just wear the shorts and the bikini now and run around naked with your husband. (laughs) I love the question that you ask on your show. What would you tell your younger self and how many women have answered? Give yourself grace in that area. Girl, you look good. I can't remember who said that, but girl, you you look good. good. And I tell myself, my 53-year-old self that too. I'm like, listen, me and my friends joke here are my age. We're like, you know what? We are so hot now. We can't even stand it. Like, it's more 63. We're going to be wishing we look like we're 53. So It is so true. Love it. Okay. What were you asking me? I'm totally off. Oh, this whole thing (laughs) with um, women and discipleship and all that. Um, So I want to affirm your generation because I think that, I think y'all are hungry. Yes. It's beautiful. Um, And you're not settling. You don't want to settle in where you are. You're pushing on. So I think that is why, you know, part of the reason we see this, you know, this decade full of women that are like, they're, I feel like your generation is just really hungry for God. And I'm, and I'm so grateful. Um, and do I feel like there are women my age that are reluctant? Yes, I do. And I think it's because honestly, I mean, I think it's because they see so many Christian celebrities stepping, and I'm using that term in quotes, right? Right. I think they they see all these people who they esteem or think of mm-hmm. as women who have it all together and they're doing all this ministry stuff and they're so awesome. And I'm just not. Right. So I, you know, 
I feel like it, there's this little space in between that we both need to step into. And I think that maybe for millennials, it might be just stepping up and asking someone and probably not saying, will you disciple me or will you mentor me? Because those are scary words. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they, they mean that um, they say to an older woman, like, you must have it all together and have a devotional every day and memorize half the Bible and your children <laughs> are perfect and you have a great marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are they're, they're hard, scary words. And I think to older women or women my age, I would say, you know, you only have to be a step ahead of someone to lead them, mm-hmm. literally, one little baby step ahead. And and I want to affirm older women and tell them that if you are 53 like I am or if you're 43, then you probably have a lot of good life experience to offer a 29-year-old hunter. Absolutely. Come on with it. You know, bring it to me. Yeah. And so I and I I think that we need to get over thinking that if we meet with someone for coffee or whatever, that we have to have some kind of plan or discipleship tool that we're going to, you know, unfold and use. And we need to have an idea where the conversation is going to go. And then we need to understand how far or how long we're meeting. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, people take a breath. Like, I don't think any of the saints thought things uh, this hard. They just didn't think about things this hard. They were just living their life out loud with the people in closest proximity and letting God lead them. The best tool that I've found for discipleship is a question. Ooh, I love that. Anybody can ask a question. Absolutely. You know, what I think is happening is people are terrified to ask questions. Um, But I just want to make it that simple, like discipleship, mentorship, whatever you want to call it. It's just meeting with someone and asking a question and then listening with holy curiosity and with as much empathy and creativity as you can muster and listening genuinely to that person and then asking another question and letting that person, whoever the mentee is or whatever, Mm -hmm. letting them discover what God is saying in their life. Mm. It's not even... It's not even me speaking into a younger woman as much as it is me asking questions and God, you know, using those questions to let them see where they are with him. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. And I I know some of your questions. You're such a great question asker. And I could spout them off right now, but I want to ask you for the listeners to just tell me, what are some of the questions that you use in your discipleship? One of the first questions I ask people is, what's your God story? Which is another mm-hmm. really, you know, easy way of saying, what's your um, testimony? Right. Which I, I wouldn't ask someone because that's a very specific. Oh, yeah. My palms start sweating. What's your testimony? Well, right? If someone asked <laughs> if my testimony, if I hadn't. Do I have to do it in under three minutes? Yeah. Oh! <laughs> uh, and, and, you know. Some people are even intimidated by what's your God story, but it's a question Will and I have been asking people for mm-hmm. a long time. And I'll never forget we went to dinner with a couple, and I um, I knew her in a, a not in a spiritual capacity; it was in a uh, recreational capacity. And I asked what you know what was what's your God story, and the wife answered and kind of describes you know her her impression of her relationship with God. And then the husband said, you know, I don't have a God story. And so if you're a freaky, like 
discipler and you feel like, or, you know, you're supposed to share Jesus or whatever. And someone says that you kind of feel like, oh my gosh, I failed. Yeah. <laughs> but in reality, that was a very insightful totally. thing for that person to realize like I, and maybe the first time he ever thought of it. Right. I don't have a relationship with God. I don't have a God story. Um, so for me, that was like a huge victory. I was like, oh my gosh, this person answered the, first of all, honest enough to answer it in front of a pastor and a pastor's wife. Absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. To acknowledge, you know, I don't really have one because I bet, I don't know Hunter, but I bet he thought about that later. Like, Oh, I bet. Right. And so it's like just asking questions like that. Um, What's your God story? My new one to ask is because even before what's your God story, I did this around the table with some girls recently and I actually have them on my web on my website, it's um, trying to remember the name of the post, but I'll get you the link for the show notes. Okay, great. But, um, there was a girl who was going to Pine Cove, and she was worried about giving her testimony. <laughs> and she was like, um, "I have to, you know, feel like I need to write it down before I can speak it." And I was like, "Well, I'll just send you some prompts." But the first, yes, prompt, I read this post. It's okay, great. Yeah. I was like, "What? Sh- what was your first impression of God?" Because mm-hmm. that's even less stressful than what's your God story. Yes. Because everybody has a first impression of God. I mean, literally, I and if they didn't, if I met a 28-year-old that didn't have an impression of God, that would be equally interesting to me. I agree. So those are just the kind of places I start. Just, what's your impression of God? Or, you know, what's your God story? Um, you know, then it would be, you know, what, what was the last time you felt like you heard from God? Mm. You know, it's just questions like that. Just And it's literally, it's like a dance. Like I'm sitting at the table with these girls. It's like, if the music's too fast, let's slow it down. You know, or if it's too, too slow, let's get something a little more upbeat on. And that's how the questions go. I can only imagine the kind of questions that you get to ask to get to know them better for the goal of getting to hopefully eventually you know, really understand the depths of their heart and get to meet them there with Jesus. Yeah. And it's, it's the Christ in me meeting the Christ in you. And that mm-hmm. is, called, that's a holy space. Mm. Yes, and so it me, is. I've often said, I'm addicted to the awe of God. Mm. And, and the awe of God doesn't just take place when I, I see a sunset um, behind the mountains in Colorado. It's when I'm sitting at a table and I, I hear some of those stories and it is literally addicting. It is like, even when I'm exhausted, I could do that. Because oh, yeah. it's, it's getting to see God's work in someone else's life and watching them discover it while they're speaking. I feel like my heart is aflame when that happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's probably something there with the Holy Spirit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's really good stuff, right? Yes. Okay. So question asking is one of your important elements of mentoring. What other important elements would you say you utilize when you're in a discipleship relationship with someone? Um, questions are huge. Um, listening is equally, you know, important. And I think that it's it's kind of like you have to go scriptless, right? Yeah. Which is so hard sometimes because you want to control it. Right. And you feel more proficient and spiritual when you're controlling it. But you have to go scriptless. Will always tells me when we're planning a message or when I'm teaching, he said, you've got to leave like five to 10% open for the Holy Spirit. Mm. (laughs) 
ideally even more, but, um, but literally not when you're like, when I'm message planning, I can't, if I have 30 minutes, I can't plan 30 minutes of, of notes. You know, I need to plan like 20, 20 minutes and and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to me and that he's going to speak to me what needs to be Uh, spoken. And that keeps you so dependent. Yeah. And it's not, listen, I'm not center stage. God is the Holy right. Spirit is center stage. So when when God is center stage, we've got to be like improv. You know, like we come in and we have an idea of the way things gonna are gonna go, and we have a an idea of the way the night's gonna end, and we have an idea of the script. Mm-hmm. The truth is that it's just like turning on the lights on stage. Obviously, I'm in a theater metaphor here, but like turning the lights on on stage, inviting the players to come on, and just having maybe one question and then watching the dialogue change, knowing that God is the director the entire time. He is the director. He is directing the conversation through me. And I trust that he's directing it through the way someone answers. And then what will be, what always happens, because I, I, I love filling a table with like six people mm-hmm. is he else will ask the question of another, you know, one girl will ask question to another girl. Well, I didn't plan on that and it doesn't matter. You right. know, um, but so asking a question, listening, and the other thing that I feel like I have to do a lot as the leader, which as the older woman, as the mother, whatever you want to say, is just making sure that we kind of don't stall out in a, in e- either a lie, mm-hmm. that trying to whisper, or just in a, you know, in a hard spot, like, well, the, not, not even that, because it can be a hard spot, but like in a place of desolation. Right. You know, I don't, I don't want people to leave and feel, I don't want to go so deep, so hard that a girl leaves unhopeful. Mm-hmm. And that can happen if you ask questions. Yeah, that's so good, Susie, man. You know, I'm listening to you talk and you can tell that you are seasoned in this. And I'd love to hear from you for those who haven't ever made disciples or haven't ever been discipled, maybe. How would you suggest they even begin to start practicing the things that you're talking about with question asking, listening, etc.? Well, I mean, are you talking about the person who wants to disciple or be discipled? Let's do both. Let's start with the one who wants to be discipled. Well, I think the best thing they can do is look look where they live. Mm. I've had, I, and I do mentor a couple of girls online, um, mm-hmm. and it's my pleasure. But it's also hard because because it's just hard sometimes. So um, I would say start where you live, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that usually means to find someone who is um, in your church. You know, I think that's, that's the hope of the world. Like that's what God died for. So like start with the church um, or a, you know, a parachurch organization, a nonprofit or something like that. And just start asking God to give you eyes to see yeah. you know, who around you might be someone that, that you could go to coffee with or mm-hmm. go to walk with. Or, you know, something like that. And, and you know, someone that's, they don't have to be like 20 years older than you. They can be five years older than you. They can be a big sister to you spiritually. Um, start start with where you live is what I would say to, and I hear girls say, you know, I've had girls say, will you mentor me? They've asked for mentorship mm-hmm. and I, I don't know them. 
And then they'll say, there's no one at my church. And I'm hard pressed to believe that there's literally no one. Yes. And if indeed that is really the truth, then maybe try another church. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, So that's what I would say to the one desiring to be discipled. You know, really open your eyes. Be willing to set aside preconceived notions of who you want and why. And this is another thing with discipleship. You know, we always think with God we can go, I am going to choose to work on peace. Yes. Curriculum for my life. Peace is my word for the year. Yeah, it's my word for the year. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's just me, but like God seems to choose the curriculum for me. Mm. I I don't choose it for myself. And so, I mean, I can choose an area of study, but very often... Hunter, God, God has a curriculum for me that I'm unaware of, yep. and like first unbound grade, by time, unbound oh, by the year. I just come into that little classroom, and I have no idea what he's up to, but I figure it out pretty quick. And he's very faithful to be um, clear in his teaching with me, and he is very persistent and very patient, like the best kind of first grade teacher you ever want to meet. <laughs> um, so. You know, if you're looking for discipleship, be open to what God might be trying to teach you. Yes. Through, you weren't expecting yep. to be the person to disciple you. If you're wanting to disciple, oh my gracious, please, please, if there is an older woman listening, open your eyes. Trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can meet girls through social media that live in your city and go to your church. You can, you know, and think about what you're putting, putting on social media, by the way, you know, like, be that wise woman. Don't be the person grabbing about politics on your Facebook page. If there are girls, you know, I just, yes, so unattractive. I, so like, I think to my generation, especially. Yeah. Um, for me, that's, you know, and I could admonish my generation because they're my people, but like, just look around. Mm-hmm. There are so many heartbreak stories going on right now. And you don't have to have your own daughter to help a daughter. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be that person's mother to mother spiritually. And there are just a lot of young women who need spiritual mentoring and spiritual mothering. They just need a mother. They just need someone to be a grown-up and to be wise and to be loving God. And no, not perfect, but available and have time for and make space for. You know, these are the things. They just... In the same way, my do- none of my daughters, my daughters don't live here. My daughter-in-law don't live here. So for me, that means today at five, I'm going to happy hour with a girl who's 31, who's not my own, who I consider a dear daughter. Mm. And when I meet with her, we will have a great time. We're going to Tiny Boxwoods. It's new in Austin. We'll have a beautiful glass of wine. We'll have some appetizers. And we're going to talk about her life. And I don't expect that 31-year-old to meet my needs. In the same way, if my daughters were meeting with me this afternoon for happy hour, I don't, I don't expect them to meet my needs. I want to meet their needs. I want to be the grown up. I want to be the mother. I don't expect them to be my best friend. You know, Susie, this is so good, and and to all of the women who are a little more mature than myself, we 
so desire that from you. I cannot tell you how many times I've come into a new city and I felt like I've had to twist someone's arm to spend time with me. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I smell bad, but it's like, can I just come and fold laundry with you? I will do anything just to, just to hang out, you know? And I think sometimes it's just that fear, like you said, that they don't have anything to offer. And that is such a lie. Um, There's so much that you older uh, wiser women have to offer, even if you don't feel like it. And, you know, I experienced something really recently that I wanted to talk to you about, because I wonder if this kind of plays into maybe just the, the fear for some women in not desiring to mentor or disciple other women. I was in a discipleship relationship and I failed my disciple and she came to me and we had a great conversation and we're reconciled, but it is hard not to walk away from conversations like that, feeling paralyzed and not wanting to disciple anybody else because you're scared that you're going to hurt people. And I wonder if some women have maybe even had that experience with their own children, feeling like they've failed or disciples or even maybe just the idea of themselves leading and thinking about all the potential ways in which they could fail. And I'd love to hear from you how you move forward unparalyzed by fear when you have failed one of your disciples? Well, I, first of all, I mean, the first thing I was like, why would you feel like you failed your disciple? Mm-hmm. I mean, no, I'm asking you really. Oh gosh. Well, causing scars. I think that especially in motherhood is a fear, just not wanting to cause those relational scars or to wound someone in a way that they are carrying baggage later on down the road. So do you feel like there was an unrealistic expectation? I think so, probably. Maybe on both of your parts? Probably. I definitely think that I was in the wrong as I was a younger disciple maker at that point. And I think it's just a lot of ignorance and unawareness and a lot of pressure, pressure put on myself, pressure on the situation, that type of thing. Yeah. And so you, I mean, in essence, we will hurt people. Yes. I mean, if there's anybody in the world I do not want to hurt and mess up and screw up and I'm being totally selfish, it's my own kids. Yes. And I have decades worth of experience that tells me that that, that bus has already sailed. I mean, that ship is uh, already See, yes. I have a two-year-old and an 11-month-old. And after that conversation, I'm like really struggling with, man, am I going to hurt my kids. This, and I know I will, but it's just, it makes it where you're like, oh, I really never want that for my girls. Like that's probably my biggest fear. Right. And so honestly, and I hate to break it to you, but you're, you're going to hurt your kids. No. And so here's what you do, Hunter. When they, I mean, I know that you already apologize and ask for forgiveness. Yes. Right? Okay. Totally. Okay. And so you continue to do that and they become teenagers and you're, you'll probably do it even more. Mm. And then at some point you can just tell them that you're tucking away money monthly for their counseling that you will, they will have to have. <laughs> yes. It's so true. You were their mother. And yes. you know what? I mean, I guess. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I felt the pressure with my own kids, like trying to be the perfect mom and trying to do all the things and read all the books. And, and like, and, and the grace of it all is that I did screw up and we still have a relationship. Mm. Yes. And it doesn't even stop when they're young adults. Like now I have little blessed in-laws and I'm like, oh gosh. And so guess what? I've had a huge conversation with all of them. I'm like, 
I love you all. I know I will mess up and I'm asking for us to be as an authentic family as we can be. Yes. And we will be in counseling if we need to be. We will talk about things. You've got to tell me. Um, you know, and so that all applies in a discipleship relationship. Like, um, will I mess up? Oh, my gracious, yes. Will I say the wrong thing? Will I encourage them to do the wrong thing? Possibly. And every time I meet with a girl, literally, and if I offer any, hopefully, fingers crossed, godly wisdom, I say to them, if none of this makes sense, toss it out. Mm-hmm. If you leave my house and you pray about this and none of it makes sense, please don't follow my advice. Like, yeah. don't please. I trust the God in you to supersede anything I've said. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. And so if there's been any fault of, of mine, like, you just got to go in knowing, like, I'm broken and a messed up, you know, person. Absolutely. Tell the people that. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm broken and messed up. So there's a real strong chance that I'm going <laughs> to yes. do things that might hurt you. But that is never my intention. Right. Honestly, with my children or someone that I would bring along as a dear daughter. But will I? Oh, gosh, yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with exactly what I talked about at the you know earlier is there's an expectation. I either have an expectation of myself as a certain mentor, discipleship person. I have an expectation of how the relationship with a mentee is going to go. Right. Or they have a, a, an expectation. They have an expectation uh-huh. of me being this brilliant older woman who always makes, you know, <laughs> good decisions. Or or they have this perception, this misperception expectation that if they're around me, all their problems will go away because they're going to become super spiritual. Right. Wrong. This is not how it works. Yeah. We need to live in reality. Reality. Because in between reality and expectation is misery. Uh, yes. Right. Yes. I think that might have been what happened. You know, and even as you're talking, I'm thinking about myself in that season. It was a long time ago. And I definitely was leading from a point of insecurity versus what you're saying is the security of knowing, you know what, I'm really not all that awesome. And I'm not a great leader apart from <laughs> Christ, you know, so like yeah. this is expected, as you're saying. And I really think that's hard for me to translate that into my parenting still while they're so little, because I still want to try and just manage it. I just want to try and implement it perfectly. And I think you're so right. I do definitely preach the gospel to them when I do mess up. But then I think I'm really quick to try again to be perfect. If you need to have like four more kids, so then you would have six. (laughs) Because they will just... They will wear you out and God will sanctify you through that. Yes, we're at family camp right now and we see all these families around us with six, seven kids. And we're just like, oh, man, we can see ourselves on the brink about to step over the line to crazy. And we don't know if we want to go there. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Hey, and listen, when they when they're 20 and they start graduating, getting married, you're going to be glad you had six. Oh, well, uh, okay, Susie, I hope that's not prophetic right there. <laughs> We're still at two. We're still at two. No plans for okay. six yet. <laughs> Y'all, I am so excited to share that the Journey Women podcast has its very first sponsor, White Pepper Inc. White Pepper Inc. is a custom scripting canvas and wood company founded by Amanda Nicholson. Amanda's heart for the company was born out of God's faithfulness to her in the valley of infertility and miscarriage. 
During this time, Amanda's friends bathed her home with sticky notes filled with scripture and truth, and she clung to them. Her feelings were big and overwhelming, but God's word was an anchor for her soul. Eventually, she wanted the sticky notes to be more permanent, so she picked up a Sharpie and some canvases and taught herself to script. You can find her beautiful work on Instagram and Facebook at White Pepper Inc. To custom order, email Amanda at whitepepperinc at gmail.com. And if you mention hearing about the shop on the Journey Women podcast, you will get 10% off a canvas of her choice if you order through the second week of August. Now, back to the interview. You know, when you're talking about your daughters, that's that was really one of the things that drew me to your podcast because I was particularly interested in your relationships with your daughters as a mother to two girls. Mm-hmm. And I listened to one of the shows. I believe it was you and Sarah. Was that okay. right? You and Sarah were talking about boundaries when she transitioned mm-hmm. out of college at Baylor. Or maybe no, that was no, Emily. That was Emily. Yeah, it was okay. Emily. Yeah. And Emily's the one that work, her husband works at camp. Yep. She works at camp or he, he works at camp Allen. Okay. Okay. Yes. I love that show. And I would love to hear from you about boundaries. And now we're transitioning into kind of this mothering thing, because as we've talked about, I I mean, discipleship really is spiritual mothering. So Mm -hmm. I very much see you as a disciple maker when you're talking about the role of motherhood. I see my kids as my disciples. So I felt like just asking you about some of the boundaries that you've set with your kids and maybe other disciples um, as well. I would love to hear how you intentionally go about setting those boundaries because it seems like it's something that you're thinking about. Oh, gracious. Yeah. Because I think about boundaries because I want, you know, my, my life goal is to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength all my, all my life. Um, and, and then guess what? I I want that to be true of my family too. Mm -hmm. So I can't, you know, it's kind of like as a mother of littles thinking about, you know, you have one way of operating with your children when they're tiny and then when they get in grade school, there's a release and you operate in a different way. And then teenagers, you release again and start all over. And then when they get to be, you know, young adults, you release and start all over. When they get married, you release and start all over. Mothering is just releasing and starting all over. Hmm. And hopefully it's transferring wisdom from one segment of, of your relationship to the next. Mm-hmm. With my girls and my son, you know, the reality is that their relationship with their spouse is supposed to supersede their relationship with me and their love for me. Mm. Oh, that's hard. Okay. And that's nothing <laughs> a mother wants to acknowledge or yeah. accept. Especially once you have a kid, I have to say, I could have heard this conversation before having my own babies and sisters who don't have their own kids or who aren't planning to. The fierce love of a mother is so strong. Yeah. And so, but remember my goal to loving God is to loving my kids and having a good relationship with them all my life. But if I don't acknowledge God's order in their life, yes, I wreck my relationship with them and I threaten their relationship with the most important person in their life. Oh, that's heavy. It's true. It is. So you're referencing the podcast where Emily and I discovered on air during the interview <laughs> that we handled something really differently. She was having a breakdown. She had just moved to small town, Texas. Right. Her husband of a year 
and they were in summer camp, and she wouldn't get to see them very often. They had to move out of their cute house into a cabin. All these things were happening, and she was just having a breakdown. And yep. she did, all she wanted to do was get her dog in the car and drive an hour and a half home, mm-hmm. sit at her grandfather's lake house, mm-hmm. on lake, and be little again. Oh. Okay? And she's telling me that she didn't say that. She didn't say, I want to be little. But she was wanting to escape all the stress and come home. And I heard that. And the mother in me wanted to say, come on home. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to be her person. Um, and what happened is she, you know, I talked her through, told her, you know, you can do what you want, Emily, but I think you're dehydrated. She wouldn't been mowing the yeah, yard. Yes. Like, Go get some comfort food, which was like ranch Doritos and get grade. Um, you know, and she was crying. And this is the kid who does not cry. She cries once a year. So it's like a really big deal. It was like pretty big deal. Um, but I knew it was more than just, you know, there's just a lot going on. Um, and so I was a grown up and I didn't say what I wanted to say to meet my needs. I said what I needed to say to benefit Emily and her new life and her new priorities. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. But my end goal is to have a great relationship with her. And so my end goal is supporting her marriage and her new life in Navasota and her new priorities and her new transition, which was difficult. And so we got off the phone and then it was during this interview that had been months later when she realized, and I knew Hunter, when she got off the phone, I could have called her back and said, are you okay? And I'm just checking in on you. And, you know, I could have wanted to just jump into my mothering role, you know, of what would have been like a younger girl instead of the the married girl she was or the best friend mom, you know, which I'm, I don't desire to be my kid's best friend. I'm their mother. That's mm. better than being a best friend. And yeah. I know mothers and daughters the wrong way. I, but it is a higher and worthier thing to be a mother than a best friend. Oh, yeah. And Gosh. so I I didn't call her back. I let her call me back. I think I might have texted her, but and she didn't call me back because she knew. So I created a boundary on my end by not saying in the things that I <laughs> that I could have and wanted to say that would have had her just rushing back to Austin. And she created a boundary by not calling me. Yeah. When she because she told me later during this interview, she she told me that she felt like if she called me again, she might have dishonored her new marriage in some way. Because you know what? As a mother if my daughter calls and says, this life is hard and he's always working, then I'm going to go, oh, you know, right, right, right. Hey, I'm going to be a mother bear. And she knew that. And so she respected her new priority. Mm. And I um, respected her by not pulling her back into being younger than she was. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it was the things that she was going through. She she was just transitioning. She was going through a hard transition. Kenton was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. They were where they were supposed to be. God called them to that city. It was just hard. Totally. 
It did sound hard, especially with the mowing piece. Right. <laughs> with the mowing piece. So that's where it's like, it's a dance between, you know, her and me putting in boundaries. Yeah. That's yeah. same. And the reason I call like I call them your daughters, I call myself a spiritual mother is because that same principle, those principles that I just described can be applied to a mentor relationship. Yep. Exactly. Um, and so for me, mentoring, discipling, whatever is just mothering. It's just mothering people that aren't mine. Do you know, Glory Furman, she wrote missional motherhood, um, yes. a couple of other yes. books. She has a definition of motherhood that applies to discipleship for me and it's nurturing life in the face of death. And so I agree, I agree with you. I'm like, that's what we do literally from infancy and beyond. Um, but then in a, a discipleship context, it's the same thing, nurturing life and the hope of the gospel in the face of sin and death. Um, yeah. So I love that. And you do that so well, Susie, um, from afar. I just, I'm one of your, I'm one of your dear daughters. So oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm so happy. I am too. I mean, I could just jump through the computer and give you a hug. I feel like oh. I need to. <laughs> Thank you so much for just all of your wisdom on discipleship. I'd love for you to just offer any resources that you can recommend to somebody who's wanting to grow in this area of their life. I, I would just, I mean, obviously the Bible, like jump in there. Yes. Um, yes. Um, and then, you know, I think that, you know, looking at spiritual disciplines, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm starting to read some books by Dallas Willard. Anything oh, that, yes, I love that. that deepens your personal um, growth, uh, being around truth telling people is super important. Um, you know, I think podcasts like this and dear daughters are great for just hearing how conversations flow and go and, and getting strong and brave and just wanting that for your life and praying that up. I love your podcast too. Um, for those who don't listen, Susie, if you're interested in counseling, I love that Susie has a lot of counselors on her show. And I think it's really helpful for anyone in particular who may be a little bit intimidated just to hear kind of what a conversation with a counselor can be like. So I really appreciate that. Plus, I feel like it's really economical counseling for me. So thank you. <laughs> Yes, me too. <laughs> yes. Well, I know you practice this so well from watching your Instagram. But one of the questions that I ask all my guests is, what are your three simple joys? And I'd love to hear yours. Oh, gracious. Like morning is one of my simple joys. Waking up in the morning, especially after a good night's sleep and having a black cup of coffee and a little one little egg and journaling. I mean, I could just go on on pink geraniums, watching the hummingbirds on the salvia. I mean, it's just... Um, simple joys, scented candles, having a happy hour like I'm doing in a, in a couple hours. These are the things that just, oh, just make me so happy. And seeing my kids, I got to see Will and Amy um, last week and it just, oh, I just love these people. Yes. The picture you posted of them was so cute. And you know, one of the things I appreciate about you in this new season, you're an empty nester now, if you will, right? right? And this is kind of more recent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that you talk about how hard it is, but how hard it is for you to send them off, but mm. how excited you are to see them just fly, if you will. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. Because some women, I kind of get both extremes. It's either, gosh, I don't want them to go, 
Or they're like, oh, you know, we've been waiting on this. Like, we're so happy. And I'm like, man, I hope that I'm able to just kind of (laughs) balance like the joy and the grief and to acknowledge them both. And I'm so thankful that you modeled that for me. Oh, you're sweet. So, okay. Well, who has had as a journey woman yourself with Jesus, who has had the biggest influence in your own spiritual journey? Well, I mean, this is kind of, it's going to sound really like crazy and maybe cliched, but it's, but it's my husband, Will. And it's its because, um, you know, he's been my pastor all my life. Um, I mean, I guess not, not all my life from, you know, when I was younger, I had a pastor. But from the time, you know, we were married, he, he's been my pastor. And that's weird. It's like a weird thing to say because, um cause I live with him and he drives me crazy and, <laughs> and I love him and I adore him. And, um, but I mean, I, that man, I joked that when we went to Colorado this last week, you know, I don't bring books anymore. I bring like, I read things online or whatever. Cause it's like too much to take in your suitcase. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this man had, um, brought five Bibles, all different translations. Oh my goodness. I know. It's like, why did you do that? You're such a goober. And he's like, you know, he he reads the Bible through and through, and he he just loves the Word, mm. and um, and so for me, I mean, it's just he he prays every morning with me, which I know this sounds like it's not hyper spiritual. We're really right. normal, <laughs> but I, that's just like it's a constant encouragement to me, just an everyday day in day out encouragement um, to see someone that loves the Word and prays and and is leading a congregation and has all of his adult life, like ministry is, it can be crushingly difficult. Uh, Yes. I can only imagine in that capacity, especially. And I just, I am grateful for him. I will Mm. be grateful for him. And, you know, he has done more to, to form me spiritually than probably anybody else in the whole world. Mm, I love that. Now everyone's like, okay, Hunter, have her on to talk about marriage. But you all should totally go to her Instagram as I've already pubbed this whole entire podcast. Go to Susie's Instagram, follow her, follow her blog. We will have all of the links to where you can reach her on the internet so that you can follow her just like I do. Um, And you'll be delighted to learn more about her relationship with Will and to get to maybe even purchase some of their books. You guys have written a, a, a boat full. So, which I'm amazed by. I read a thousand word article and I feel dead afterwards. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Susie. Um, it is just a joy and a delight to get to interact with you real time. And I really appreciate your time. I can't tell you how grateful I am for it. And I cannot wait to share our conversation with um, your other dear daughters across the internet. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, can I speak something over you? Oh, please. I I am so grateful that there are women like you, Hunter, that are out there doing their thing. Listen, it, you know, creating a podcast might sound like, oh, just go create a podcast. It's scary. It's hard. It's vulnerable. And here you are, you know, not even 30 and with two small children and a very busy life. And you are throwing yourself into ministry. And I am grateful for you. I am so grateful for you because you are touching lives. And I can tell just in the way that you talk that you're authentic and you're wanting to live right and you're wanting to love God. And we just need more of you. (laughs) Thank you so much. 
Well, thanks for encouraging me to follow my big God dream. I thought, I, I, I guess it was one of your shows that I was listening to. And, you know, you're right. I have two little babies and, you know, my husband's in the military, so he's gone pretty frequently. And I don't know what it was, but I was just like, if not, if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? <laughs> you know? And so we just went for it. And I am so happy that, that I did. So thanks so much for your encouragement. I really, really appreciate it. And I know you feel the same way that for both of the ministries God's given us. Just ask that he be glorified. So glory to God. Thank you, That's Susie. Right. All right. Uh, love you so much from afar. Love you too. And thank, thank you. you so much for the interview. It was wonderful fun. Susie's quote, the difference between reality and expectation is misery, is something I'm going to be thinking about for a while. I hope you guys have lots of other truth nuggets to pocket after listening to our conversation. As mentioned, you can find out how to connect with Susie Davis on HunterBelis.com. Make sure to let her know what you learned from her today. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, if you're enjoying the show, it would be a huge help if you could hop over to iTunes and leave a review. I don't really understand iTunes algorithms, but I know it helps us gain access to other women on their journeys to glorify God. Looking forward to being with you guys again next Monday.